Well, hello to our new listeners. Thanks for joining. And to our returning guests, welcome back. Welcome to Season 6 of the Morosible Podcast. My name is Mo. In this season, like you've been used to, get ready for more amazing stories, more inspirational stories to help you set your stories free. I created this podcast as a resource for Blacks, Asians, and those who love them to share stories and processes, as well as to build communities around important salient issues that affect all of us as humans. So on this show, you get to hear amazing stories from people like you who show us how to get more out of life. The stories featured here are by people whose journey I am partly inspired by, as well as challenged by, but most importantly, people whose courage and vulnerability have afforded us an opportunity to hear their life stories. And I hope you find them as inspiring. Now enjoy your show and don't forget to share this episode and the other ones. (laughs) No, a long time coming. Like four years. It feels like uh, a quarter of an Avatar movie. I don't know if you know that. The first Avatar movie took about 14 years because the, really? the director, Cameron, didn't have the technology oh, then to shoot I some see. of the things. And then um, this one, the next one took like 13 years because they mm-hmm. wanted to do a motion camera because mm-hmm. it was real water. So that kind of took a longer time. I feel like I our see. podcast, this podcast episode, even yes. though it wasn't like we're looking for technology, it's taking so long, but I, I believe it's going to be a very banging good episode because I finally get I to hope so too, that it was worth the wait. It will be worth the wait. You know, <laughs> that's what I've been preaching with you. I'm like, Zadio, do that. We're going to give her time. Whenever Zadio time is ready, she's going to do it. So Thank I'm you. glad this is the day the Lord has made, you know. Yay, <laughs> yay. So welcome, welcome back to the podcast, everyone. Um, that was just a quick chat with my wonderful sister, Adil Dat. So who is Adil Dat? Guys, when I told her to fill the form, this lady, just show you how really modest she was. She just put educator scientists. <laughs> but you know how we do on this podcast. We don't let her kind of thing sleep by. So let me blow her horn. This lady is loaded, y'all. Hey, talk about beauty and brains. I mean, you already know the beauty because as they're watching looking at the flyer, you know that this person is beautiful. But she's she's a hot, baby hot. She's a scientist. I mean, she's doing You just tried to make me blush, aren't you? Oh, yeah, you have to blush because you have to do the work. We've got to promote each other as women. So, guys, she's done a lot of work on hepatocellular carcinoma. She's, you know, used to work on mouse models for cancer. I actually met her at a prostate cancer conference. And I think she worked with one of um, my friend's brother, Dr. Wombi. And I think that work was looking looking at potential biomarker for aggressive prostate cancer. I know for for, those that are not scientists, we probably lost you. So cancer right now, the markers we use to detect it, it's usually PSA, which is not very, very quite accurate. No. So they're trying to look for more specific targets that if somebody is like excreting this particular um, biomarker, we're able to say with a higher specificity and sensitivity that, oh, this is, you know, prostate cancer. And then she schooled in France. Hey, y'all. She schooled in France at the... Oh, hold on, girl. <laughs> okay, this is where... This is where the, the, the guests are like looking at who's this person that invited me to the podcast. Mm-hmm. Hold on, I gotta do this. I so did not I give you all this information. Don't like, worry, you... you didn't give it to me. That's why I'm doing this. I had to go research you. Do you know the guy I was stout for that to go into? Uh... To stalking my research room. 
She got her PhD, guys, from France, right? And her work then was looking at host pathogen interactions using Hep C virus um, life cycle. Again, looking for potential, new potential therapeutic targets. And then she went to, she left France, went to the US to go and do her postdoc at the Hunter, Hunter College, where she was looking at disparities in prostate cancer between males of African ancestry and Caucasian males. So this is where our work intersects, because I do prostate cancer research, as some of you will know. And then she decided that, you know what, research, I'm going to put a pause on it. Let me go sit with the big guys, and let me bam bam a little bit. And then she went to the Bard High School College, early college, where she served as assistant professor for four years, from 2017 to 2021. And then I did that, like that, over at African. She's like, assistant professor, I've done that one. Now let me go to the big boss. Guys, guess what? She's the dean. She's the whole dean. My friend oh my is the whole dean and a half. <laughs> at the Bard High School, just... early college in Manhattan, from 2021. Of color, immigrants, French speaking. She's like, okay, she's also from Burkina Faso, which I didn't mention. So shout out to my Burkina Bay friends. These guys remember we had um, um, Farida on the show, right? And who was the very first Burkina Bay. And now we have Adil that. These are really um, highly, highly successful women doing great things in this oversaturated economy that we're in. So we've got to blow our trumpet. So everyone, please join me in welcoming Dr. Oh, my goodness. Adele. Like her dad calls her, but I'm going to call her Dr. Adil that Ibudo to the podcast. And she's a wonderful mom and a wife with two kids. Thank you, thank you, thank you. All right. I think my work is done here. He was not giving you guys. (laughs) Bye, everyone. (laughs) Thank you so so much for the wonderful introduction. Educator said, you think you're going to get away on this podcast? No. (laughs) We've got to sign you now. But thank Thank you, thank you. you. I'm glad glad to have you here. Oh, and guys, she just launched her podcast. This girl does a lot, which we're going to talk to you guys about at the end of it. Because for those of you that might have parents, that might have kids in, you know, high school or even working with kids in those kind of settings. Her podcast is a gem because this guy, this lady has like a lot of lived experiences and she has a passion for teaching. As you can see, to move from research to a solely teaching position, people do it the other way around, but she did it that way because she can tell she has a heart for teaching. So we're going to highlight her podcast at the very end. So stick to the very end of this episode. And even check the resource page because we're going to be tagging and including all the links to her podcast where you can find her. So I do that. Let's start with your story. Hmm. And she's also beautiful. I think I said that before, but it's worth it to be mentioned. Man, I you am so blushing right now. You should blush. The good thing about being African is I can't see the red, but I believe I know, you. right? You can't see it, so it works. It works. <laughs> with um, just how you grow up and, um, yeah, so Burkina Faso, what was that like? And, yeah, let's start with that. All right. Um, thank you again for having me. It's a true pleasure um, to be here with you um, all this morning. So I'm the firstborn of my family. So growing up, you always, you know, again, in African households, as the firstborn, you always have that pressure to kind of give the example because everything is kind of dependent on you. It's like, okay, you have your siblings. Yep. Right. I have three siblings. So they were like, you know, you need to show the good example so they know what to do and how to, you know, follow your footsteps. So that 
added pressure that nobody needs, but that everybody as a firstborn has. Um, so I've always been careful and thinking, okay, is this going to set the right example? Is it how, you know, I should be doing things if I want my bro- brothers and sister um, to kind of follow the footsteps? But otherwise, it's actually been a quiet and peaceful childhood. My dad was traveling a lot for his work, so he wasn't home that much. So we were with um, with my mom for most of the time. So she had, you know, the load of, you know, caring for the four kids most of the time. And as you know, African moms, their patience can be worth it sometimes. <laughs> be all like that. And the earnings are like, we're becoming like that too. <laughs> I know, yeah. So, you know, I, I was just like, making sure that I was straight as an eye. I was not about to, you know, <laughs> be causing any trouble. But otherwise, you know, to be um to be honest, it was, you know, a peaceful and 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 joyful and fun childhood. Again, growing up in Africa, you don't have the stress and all of the worries that you may have as a kid somewhere else with other pressures than the one from your family directly. So Growing up with my siblings, you know, taking care of them, helping take care of them and, you know, being part of the family early on and doing things as part of the family early on. The learning to cook, the chores, the managing and maintaining things, maintaining things. So that was that was my childhood. So went to middle school, then went to high school and my school was a little bit far um, from my house, but that was fine. So I had a motorbike, so. That was something. Oh yes, I know. I was fancy like you that. My mom had upgraded her motorbike and gave me the old one. It's not like anything fancy. And actually, I, I, I need to post like some a pictures. Moped, like a Vespa. Yes, totally. Look like is it like the Yamaha? I don't know yeah, if you yeah. remember that Yamaha with oh, the. Of course, I know the Yamaha. So is this like a Burkina Faso thing? Because Nigerian moms will never let a girl ride on a bike. I didn't even learn to ride a bike until my big ass was like my thirties. Because my mom really? said I was going to scrape my, bruise my, um, scrape my knees, and then I was not going to be married. Oh, I don't know that word, but that's how I, I was Oh no, I was lucky enough. They were like, you know, you do you, because it was a little girls, far. Girls, and girls um, ride on moped. I know Indian oh, yes. girls do that. I know Indian girls do that because my friend yeah, had a very we, far. Oh. That really early on. Nigerian so, mom, get in here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh no, I told. I'm sorry, mommy. I didn't mean to. <laughs> yeah, it's okay. It's okay. So, so yeah, so, it was a pretty yeah, pretty good, pretty good childhood. The same. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Wow. And your siblings are they still back in Burkina Faso, or you guys are all scattered all over? Yes, actually, everybody is still back uh, in Burkina. I'm the only one who you know went abroad, like outside of the continent, for um for studies, and then abroad again um okay. to live. So everybody's still back home. So, so I know in Burkina Faso, one of your uh, major languages is French. So was that why moving to France wasn't like a no big deal? Is that what most um, highly yes. achieving uh, you know students from Burkina Faso do? Is the, is the path to France quite easy? Um, relatively easier. It, sorry. Yes, I would say relatively easy because again, you do not have the language uh, barrier, and there was actually another added layer to why it is that I went to France and specifically in the city where I went because um, my dad, you know, I I told you um, just a few minutes ago that he used to travel a lot and part of his travels and his trips were related to the fact that my village uh, back home 
was a sister, like twin sister. I don't know how you call it in uh, English, but twin sister. Million. What's cool? What, uh, what's, no, what's it was breast. It was um, yeah, uh, yeah, breast two breast. So uh, early on, as we were kids, we used to host people from France coming to do some work with my village, some kind of partnerships and things like that. So we were really introduced very early on to, you know, French people coming to visit and my dad also going there for work. So we had already established a good family friendships and solid friendships. So when came the time to, you know, go abroad um, to study, it kind of the decision were kind of made by itself. His friends there that knew us from when we were young were like, you know what? She needs to go abroad um, to study. She's still young. Why don't you bring her uh, in Brest so that she has people there and she's not by herself, like in a whole, you know, another country. Um, and that's, that, that's how it happened. So I applied for school specifically only in that city because, again, that's where we knew the most people. And the change was not going to be too drastic in the way that we knew people. If something happened again, you know, so that kind of eased everybody. I guess my parents too, because again, firstborn, first one to go abroad can come with anxieties. And I was lucky in that, in that sense. um, Truly. I talk about your experience in France, but, Mm -hmm. um, but what would you say, were some of the because I'm looking, I, I know some things have been happening in your country recently. Mm-hmm. The coup, and then your president, mm-hmm. and then the sort of the military coup, and then the criticism that Kabore has been facing. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, this is in the north of Burkina Faso, right? And even the comparison to what's happening in Mali. And I think the if we were to summarize it, it still has a lot to do with the influence France has in your country. Now, we're not going to turn this into a political episode. But um, how would you say Burkina Faso is right now? Like, giving you know, I'm sure you have your ears and your your eyes back home because you still have some of your siblings back home. What's the situation back home, right? and how is that affecting you if it has? Well, the the, the situation is that right now people are showing more and more. Uh, true, you know, distrust for France and their politics and, you know, thinking that, again, part of the situation that we are in, we're always trying to look for, you know, someone who may share the responsibility. So that's um, the situation. It it looks like from, you know, what I've read in the past uh, few days that um, Traore is really trying to do, you know, the now uh, yeah. president to recruit um people so that we have more eyes everywhere where we have you know the insecurity and also um planning for campaigns to kind of collect food to make sure that places where people don't have access to food then they will get um that access now we are also facing another challenge that is the surge in price in um, yeah everywhere right where people are hoarding the gas and reselling it for like three times its price so it's always so frustrating in a situation where everybody is in the same bag we are all struggling we are suffering there are people that are also still you know trying to find a way to make a buck or two behind other people's back so we are always like battling with all of this like how do we 
prevent our own greed from taking over and um, impacting other people's quality of life? And then how do we keep moving forward and making sure that we are we recover this, the, the country that we want to live in? You know, so it's yeah. it's been and to be honest, you know, living far from home. It's been painful to kind of see the information and kind of understand truly what's going on. And I I pray every day that one day we will resume and go back to where we were. And yeah. I don't yeah. it, it's I mean, because you guys really, are so blessed, you know, you have I gold, know. you have cotton. Exactly. You have cotton producers in Africa. Yeah. You have gemstones, you know. And, and we used to be so peace and peaceful, quiet. Like, yes. Nothing was going on until no, you know seven, you eight Muslims, years ago. You had Christians, you had people of every religion just going. And we were just living together in a perfect harmony, like to be honest. And now it's it's it, it it's really sad to see yeah, how it has degraded over time. Yeah. I think the bottom line is that Francophone Africa is just so done with France and it's continuing oh, to so done. They just need to leave, you know. I mean look at what they've done yeah. to Chad, Mali, Mauritania, yeah. and Niger. It's and ridiculous. Burkina, like Russia, everywhere yeah. they are there is something going on. Like yeah. how? Like how does that make sense? Like everywhere yeah. they are, something, There's something going, going on. on and I haven't left. I keep taxing you, no. taxing you guys in a very, very heavy way. But I hope um, Chari yeah. has a plan, you know. I hope Otherwise, so too. history is just going to yeah. end up repeating itself. Yeah. From what I've heard, yeah. you know, when I'm having the discussion with my siblings, um, they seem to have some good faith um, in him seeing the kind of work that is starting to be done your hope on one president that is so true too we're about to go vote in nigeria again next year and there's this particular candidate who i'm not going to mention who has been touted to be the next hope i get it he has fresh ideas he's younger Mm -hmm. as well eloquent but we can't put our hope on one person no one person can fix the country that is true it takes a well-considered effort of everybody and a lot of this corruption happens at the grassroots level you can't just elect the president and then stop doing your own civil work Right no, totally. Business. Make sure you know everything that's going on. Know your civil liberties. How can you even get involved in politics? Not like voting yeah. and running for leadership. Mm-hmm. But a lot of those things, that I, don't, I think it's just so much emphasis on the office of president. Yeah, and then but, but a lot the, of oversight goes on. Sorry, go ahead. Yeah. But the thing, what I was going to say is that at least, you know, back home uh, with you in Nigeria, education has been on the forefront for a long time, right? So people are going to school, they're going to college. In Burkina, it's not the same. There's only so few people who have access to university and having a way of thinking that they can critically think for and themselves. That to keep it, it's, a, it's a deliberate effort. Exactly. So it, it's just complicating so many things because, again, people are not, they don't have one, they don't have the resources first to even like have a full stomach enough that they can sit and think, right? And two, because they haven't been in the education system in a way, because again, you can be in the education system and not being able to think for yourself. But anyways, like that forward thinking and critical thinking and just analyzing things before reacting or just, it's not there. That's um, why we are just suffering because people don't no longer have that common goodness thing, like everybody for themselves. And it's, it's just survival, you know, because we're really in poverty, survival mode. And you guys are so, you're so little. Like, no, I say little, you're like 21 million. I like, know. That's Barely. like, you know, one yeah. little local government in Nigeria. I was just even looking it up right now. Your literacy rate is about 30 something percent, like 39 yeah. percent. Nigeria, in contrast to Nigeria, we're like, so something percent. Man, that's super low. 
Yeah. Oh, totally. It is so low. It is I so mean, low. change is going on because in 2007, you guys were at 28%. And then in 2014, you moved up to 34%. So it's been climbing up steadily. Yeah. But it still has a lot of catching up to do. Yes. Absolutely. Absolutely. Wow. And I yeah. think there's been a lot of school, school closures too. And, this, and looking at this now, they say that about 40, 42% of your population above 15 is literate. So you're not even catching them young. No. No. Oh, wow. It's, wow. It's, it's really something. And, you know, thinking about it, being here and being so passionate about education, sometimes I ask myself the question, it's like, what it is that we need to do? to make this better like what type of edu- and again we are copying literally the education system from france which does not fit uh, our needs and our model yeah so yeah. how much of a change and how much would it take for us to revamp and do things according to what we truly need and bring our people to where we need to be yeah, and yeah. It, it 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 has to be a concerted effort it and it feels be. like nobody wants to undertake the challenge and it's like, but what can we truly do as a one single individual? Like, what can you really do? And it's it's frustrating and it's painful to witness. Man, so, because, you know, illiteracy plus unemployment is just a perfect recipe for poverty. And that itself could be also be a weapon that these people yeah. keep using to keep you being subservient and just dependent. Absolutely. It's a recipe so, for, for disaster and a well-crafted weapon. Yeah. 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 Well, um, so I mean, I think your country is what's happening right now is not different from what's happening in other countries, even in my country as well. You know, we're just not having strong leaders in power, and then mm-hmm. the citizens are so they're so stressed up. Yeah, they've been you know hit on all sides. You can't even think freely. If you didn't even think about the hierarchy of needs by Maslow, yeah. mm-hmm. to get to that point of you know self actualization, you have to meet the basic needs. Some yeah. of us don't have the basic needs met in Africa. No. So how are we supposed to even get to our potential? You know? Right. So these are the issues. Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm thankful for you, though, because it seems like you've, you've done above and beyond. I mean, a PhD in applied microbiology in France and then coming to the U.S., I imagine it hasn't been quite easy. So you, you, went, to France. you yes. went to France. I know you speak French, right? But mm-hmm. tell me, were there any um, things you had to overcome as a person who was different, you know, um, moving to France? despite not having yeah. to overcome a love language it yes it it was actually um quite interesting because again i was very fortunate that um before i went there to start my schooling i had gone there to visit those yeah, uh, family friends so so i wasn't huh you used to keep in touch with them just yes. oh absolutely yes yes it it's really truly become a family of families because there were several of them and up to this day, we, we keep in touch. And, and yes, it's very, very endearing. And when I got there, the family that I lived with, because again, she was, she considered my, my, my dad as her brother. She calls him, you know, my brother. So she was like, come live with us. We will figure this out, you know. So I left my family to move in with a family. So I cannot even say anything bad about this family you know sometimes how you want to complain and be like oh no i cannot because they really considered me as a part of their family anything that they did they took me with them they would go to the restaurant they would take me they would go to the movies they would take me because again i had known them prior 
But when I moved in, it was really as if I was part of the family. There was no difference at all. They only had one um, son. So I was, he was always like, oh, you are my favorite daughter. And I'm like, you only have one daughter anyway. So it's like, you know, but just to tell you how, at least in that familial sense, I was really well supported and, you know, taken care of. We knew other families that didn't live um, far from, from, from us. So I would go to visit those again because, again, they had come to visit Burkina. So I knew them. When I got to school, that was a different thing. I got there in the end of August, like the very first year I got there. What year was that? 2004. I know, 2004. You were young. So young, I know, back in the day. (laughs) So young. I was so cold. It was, I was so, so cold. So whatever coat they would use for the winter, that's what I was already wearing, not even the end of fall. I know, not even the end of summer. So, and it was also a very windy area. So the wind, like, if you are not well, you know, in your feet, the wind will take you and drop you somewhere else. Because <laughs> I think I remember Brest, um, very popular for their maritime, you know. Yes, yes, absolutely, yes. So, absolutely, right? So, when I got there and started school, I remember in our class... I think number of students wise, we may have been like close to 150 and there were only like three black students. And you were all black students, international students, or you were the only international? No, I was the only international. The other black student, she was born um, in France, had gone back to uh, Congo because she was from Congo to, uh, to, to go to up until high school and came back. But she was already, you know, um, French and, and, and everything. And the other one, um, she had come from Gabon, mm. but she was in France for longer than I was. I had just arrived. Some of the conversations with the students, they will be like, how did you get here? Like, did they give you a stipend for you to be able to come and study in France? Oh, my goodness. Um. And I'm like, what are you even talking about? Like... I, I was, again, at that time, I was young. I was so up in my feelings. You could not even talk to me anyhow. So I would jump on their throat. Like, <laughs> I'm like what is this that you're talking about? Like, sometimes I would want to tell them, if you knew that maybe back home, I may be living better than you. It's not about the money, but it's just about the comfort. And yeah, yeah, the it's things that, yeah. mm-hmm. I know it's just like ignorant sometimes. Mm. And it took me some time to wonder if it was mere ignorance because again they're not you know they're not shown Africa they're or they're not shows, yeah or they're shown as only a part of Africa you know that kid with the with the fly on the right and the big tummy yeah I see him right now right so ex- I know so it was it, it, it took me some time to pause and step back and just decide that I was not going to react the way I used to every time that someone asks a question that is ridiculous like that. Because again, I went there, it was not for, you know, a stipend. I didn't get any, you know, scholarship to go to the school, nothing. My parents were basically, you know, paying. Granted that it wasn't as expensive that, you know, here uh, in the U.S., but the French government did not subsidize any of my schooling because I came from Burkina Faso, right? So having people not even trying to understand before jumping to those questions, 
was just so frustrating. So that's something that I really battled with for a long time. And I was like, okay, those are young kids anyway. They don't understand anything. But when you talk to the grown-ups, because I was part of a, a choir when I got there, I was like, you know, I need some social life in my life. So I went to the local church choir and we would have some rehearsings weekly at nights and things like that. Older people, as you know, usually in, you know, um, um, Western countries, the member of choirs are usually, you know, on the elderly side, uh, sometimes close to retired. Nice and things like that. However, I remember one specific instance where the lady was like, oh, um, I hope that, you know, when you finish your studies, um, you will go back home because that's really where they need you the most. Uh, They're everywhere. And I'm like, like, you don't even know how I got here. Like, to this day, like when I think about it, I'm like, what can motivate somebody to come? And I don't know if it was well intended. I'm like, why? I don't need you to tell me any of those things. And I'm like, I do not need to be physically in my country to be the most useful. Because that's what people don't understand. It's like, why would you even say that? Like, anyway, it was just, it was never in my face. I cannot tell you that somebody had called me names right in my face, but it was just the way they would bring some questions or make some remarks, like those microaggressions. That was a big part of it. And it was just frustrating. It was really, really frustrating. But then, you know, as time went on, because I did spend nine years there. So as time nine went on, years. yeah, I did all my schooling, like from, yeah, from, you know. Um, from high school to university. Right when I graduated from high school, I started um, college there all the way to oh, the PhD. Oh, then my PhD and then, oh my goodness. Yeah. Did you qualify enough to be a French citizen or you couldn't get that? I was like, I'm not interested, actually. I did not want to. After nine years, wow. I did not want to because I, I at that time I knew exactly why I went to France. I went there mm. to get an education that hopefully, you know, with the PhD, because I already always had that vision. I'm going to go there. I'm going to focus, get my education and get out. Okay. Staying in France had never been in my, you know, purpose. I was like, okay. never. So okay. I was like, you know, I don't want the trouble. I don't want to have to have to say anything to them just keep your papers so i just renewed yeah. my yeah. my uh, my 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 student visa until it was done and i just up and left when last you go there um actually i have i haven't returned since i came back 2014 mm. but i've been planning though um to go back with the kids okay. and you know it's been proving challenging a little bit but i do want to go because again overall i had a great experience um, yeah Yes, yeah. and then when I moved to Rennes, that's where I met uh, more students from Africa and from Burkina. Yeah. We had our small community, and to this day, we still communicate. So when I go, I have so many people that I need to see. And that's actually yeah. why I haven't gone yet, because I truly need to set up a full month if I want to make sure that I okay. see everybody that I want to see. Yeah. There yeah. are many. So Okay. Yeah. I think that was not enough. You were like, you know, I've conquered France. You little Marco Polo. Let mm-hmm. me go to the other land of races. 
Let me start all over again in this weird place called I know. US. And you came I here know. for your postdoc. Yeah. So tell me, how was it like adjusting? Because I know, again, you're bilingual. Yeah. You're in France, which is a totally different place from the US. But perhaps being in New York might also have some um, power, how do I put it, like some credit to you because New York mm-hmm. is more diverse. Yeah. yeah. It seems to be more immigrant friendly. But what are some mm-hmm. of the, I guess, the differences or the challenges that you experienced moving to New York for your postdoc? So how did you even get the position? Oh, so that's uh, oh man, you are bringing back those memories more, aren't you? <laughs> so, so the reason why I moved specifically to New York initially, you know, the young and stupid love instead. So I was oh. like, you know, so that was the thing. So the 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 location was already you know decided for me for that specific reason. Mm. So when I finished um, and I graduated from the from the PhD. I knew that I wanted, you know, at least a few years of experience um, as a postdoc because I, I really still enjoyed um, research and I still do. Um, so I applied for the positions. I went, you know, online. I contacted uh, different um, universities and figuring out, you know, do you need somebody? I have a PhD. This is the experience that I have and so on and so forth. So everybody that I contacted at the time, they were very interested um, in me, but they didn't have any, you know, funding for, for a postdoc because mm. the good thing that I have to say with, you know, um, when you get your PhD from France is that they know the rigor that it took for us to get the PhD. So they really like PhD, um, French PhDs. So that wasn't, you I know, an issue. Give me some credit. I know, I know that was the thing. I'm like, I do not want to go to school to have to, you know, convert that degree. I want it to be taken as it is, you know, so. So I was like, if I need to get just a PhD, and then be done. Hey, cause some trauma. I know, I know, totally. So I was, I was lucky for that, and lucky that you know people were interested in my expertise. But however, they did not have uh, the funding until I got um, online on Indeed. I will never forget, and I saw a position written up, you know, from um, a newly minted assistant professor who was, you know, coming to New York to start his lab. And the description of the position was like, it was written for me. Like, mm. honestly, like all the things that he needed that person to be able to do. I was like, wait, that's me. That's me. I know how to do this. I have done this all my PhD. And so, so I applied, got interviewed, got the position. So he interviewed me, you know, I think it was in November. But I we... Was, right? Yes, he was a good movie, yeah. And we wouldn't start until February because he wasn't even in New York yet. So his start date was February. So I was already here in the U.S. because I had come for the for the holidays or for the vacation because I still had, you know, a tourist visa from the U.S. that I used to come back and forth um, as I was doing my Ph.D. So I was here job hunting, got the position. He offered me the position. Now I had to go back to France change my visa into a J1 so I could come, you know, oh, to start the postdoc. Uh... Yes. So that's how it happened. Um, so that's how it happened. Came here and man, was a slap <laughs> in the face. <laughs> tell me what, tell it me was what, a slap in the face. Oh my goodness. Oh, it was so rough because coming for one month at a time to visit was different than being like, okay, now I'm here. Uh, and the yeah. whole thing also is that, again, as I was starting my postdoc, 
I was pregnant. Starting Ooh. a new position in a new lab as the only postdoc huh. for some time. I am telling you, I, I don't do things, you know, half half. I just girl, go in. <laughs> girl, 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 why are you like me? <laughs> I, <know. laughs> I told the pregnancy part though, but why are you like me? <laughs> oh my goodness! I, I'm like just head on, you know. So that was that was very interesting, and also I suffered the most for the food. Because I, I was oh. like, what kind of food is this? This food has no taste. What's the yogurt zero percent fat? Like zero percent fat. <laughs> I was, I was so mad all the time because of the food. I blame it on the hormones, though. But man, it was oh, yeah. just like, yeah. but the still, food I struggle. Yes, but um, you know, got through um the 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 pregnancy. But again, because I had barely worked for like six months, I was not eligible for FMLA. So I had to go back to work six weeks after giving birth. Man, these are things that probably would never have happened in um in no, France. In France, no. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. that 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 was oh, this is now where I am, huh? Six weeks, and yeah. I, yeah. so okay. again, it, it it was it it was really interesting because trying to get used to the environment, trying to be you know a mom to my kid, and then be you know. Um, a wife, all the things, and you know. But you know, I think as Africans, one thing though that I have to say is that our parents, our mothers in particular, have just—I don't want to use the word trade, but that's the best word that comes in mind. Engineered, and, right? I know. <laughs> right to take on those challenges and be able to blend them the best we can, or yep. at least like make do. So. I, I did what I had to do. I just, I, I didn't even ask myself the question. I was like, like tunnel vision. I'm like, okay, this needs to happen. I need to still be a successful postdoctoral fellow. I need to be a good mom. So let, let's just like do whatever I can every Again, time, the first all one. the time. You're the firstborn. You're always conditioned to always seek that excellence. But even if yeah. you're not thinking about your siblings, you've been engineered in such a way that everything you do, you do it in a way that you want to always keep making your family name proud. Absolutely, absolutely. So, so that was yeah. that, and being the alone, like in another country, no close family members, you know, yeah. to talk of. Usually, you know, you would have your parents coming help you with the baby. My mom did came a little bit, um, did come, but she couldn't stay um, too long. long. Yeah, uh, yeah, man. but um, yeah, it, it was yeah. uh, yeah. But you did it. You did it. Before I, we move on to I, the I, next level of your life, <laughs> I just want to teach some um, lessons from your story. You from France and coming to the US, you sought out those opportunities for yourself. And that's why looking at that LinkedIn, you're like, eh, man, this looks too good to be true. You could have just said, there's no way I can get in. I'm not applied. But you never know until you apply. So I think that's the moral of the story here, guys. Yes. And ladies listening to this, apply. Yes. You never know. You just yes. never know. You just never know. The worst they can say is no. Is no. And that's okay. Right. right. So yeah, absolutely. Take your chances. Never give up. If you yeah. want it, just ask for it. The worst I can say is no. Yeah, so I met you around the time you had Rania, which was 2014. So mm-hmm. I met her in Jamaica. Mm-hmm. And we had gone for a conference. Shout out to Professor Dedinos Conference. Professor. <laughs> That's how we met. And then I remember, I mean, you naturally, see, when you see like Africans, you just naturally want to just say hello, hi. Yeah. Just, you know. Even though we're in Jamaica, there are had other Africans, but we're, we're coming from the U.S., and I do that just to, she stood out differently. I mean, we made other friends, but I just connected so well with her because of just how open she was, very honest, very forthcoming, and very intentional. And I remember, my goodness, even during the conference, because she had a baby not too long ago, she had to keep, you know, 
pumping her breast milk. And oh, oh my god, at the other day, the Lord was like, I don't want to dump them out, so she will feed them. In. You know, but, and that was the first time I realized that my goodness, pregnancy is not for the faint hearted because I was a... all the way back in New York, but the signals were still sending you know, through Wi Fi yeah. again, engineering. <laughs> I know, I know. <laughs> And the hotel yeah, staff, I think they were so very, um, they're very, they were helpful in the sense that they helped yeah. you get like a small fridge in your room. Yeah. And you could keep, and that's when I realized that, man, breast milk is premium, it's premium product. You can't just express nope. them and dump them. You have nope. to liquid them. gold. Truly liquid Thank gold. Thank you for yeah. that. Liquid gold. Yeah. And, but how, how was it like, you know, balancing being a new mom, especially the mom part of it, and mm-hmm. your kid, and in your career, and postdoc? I mean, I hate to say this, but postdocs, they've been, I mean, they don't get a lot of credit for what they do. Oh, they do so much. And like at the bottom of the totem pole where you do so much and not giving all the... Right? And then you had a wet lab. How did you do it in New York? It, 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 was, it was rough. But again, I was just tunnel vision. I was trying to focus and just do the best I can, like, where I could. Because again, in, on top of, you know, the wet lab work and being doing my own research... Because we were so new, our team, I basically built the lab from scratch. Because again, when we came in, we had nothing. We had nothing. So one of the previous um, researcher who, you know, um, had retired and gave us his, um, his lab space, but we had to build everything, all the supplies, the equipment. And um, my PI, you know, which was what he needed to do was mostly in his office trying to look for those grants and apply so we can have the money to set up the lab. But the setting up the lab, like the talking to the representative, the buying the stuff, the making sure to, that you test the serum and whatnot, all of it like fell on me. But again, I loved research and I was like, man, I have this opportunity to do, be in this lab and do research that I'm passionate about. Let's go. And again, you know, pregnant with my belly i was like running up and down the, the the it was just you know now i'm thinking about it fondly but i'm just realizing that it was a lot of work but i think i've always been lucky in the way that i can manage to plan things well when i'm not too stressed and when i'm excited about something so i find a way you know to make it happen so i think that's what kind of kept me going because again it's true that when you are really passionate and enjoying what you're doing you are finding the time to kind of blend both even if you know it does it does take some time so I would go to work go in the room we had a small room that I can go and pump and then after the pumping I'll be out and you know helping the students with what they needed to help uh, they needed help with and doing my own research and applying for that travel award that I got that brought me, you know, to yes, uh, yes, to Jamaica yes, yes. Uh, when we met. But I was just, again, like you said, even when you don't have the, um, all, all the time the parents telling you about that you need to succeed, whatnot, because you've had the talk like so long ago and, you know, it, it, it stayed there. So I was like, you know, I need to make something of myself. One, I am a female. Two, you know, firstborn of my my parents. So they need to be able to have their head high when they go somewhere and knowing that, you know, our daughter is doing is doing good work and is trying to manage, you know, things. So that also, I think, is what kept me 
kept me going. It was not easy, but I I, I made it happen the best I could. <laughs> Man, you're amazing. You're just yeah, amazing. Thank you. Thank that's, you. Just a, that's just the um, the the thing about you. So you you left. What made you also like wrap up? I and mean, then postdocs cannot mm-hmm. be postdocs forever. Yeah. Right? And then from postdoc to a staff professor, how was that transition like? That transition was actually very coincidental, but I'm so glad, you know, it happened. So again, one really major part of the lab work that I enjoyed be- um, besides the, the wet lab and the, the research itself was mentoring the students. And I've always liked teaching. I've always been in a capacity where I'm talking to people because again, as you can see, I love to talk and just sharing what I know. So even when I was a, a PhD student, I was also um, a TA. So I was doing the labs and things like that. So I always enjoyed that interaction with the younger students and showing them how to do things uh, and stuff like that. So I knew that part of my career would involve some type of either mentoring or teaching or something where I'm talking to, you know, to younger, um, to younger people. So it had happened at a time that during the postdoc, unfortunately, you know, um, towards the third year, we were kind of getting slow on the funds and running slow on the funds. And we had said, you know, with, uh, right? Yeah, so it's, again, I was like, I have a kid, you know, we're running low on funds. And Dr. Ugumobi said, you know what? Why don't we put you on a part-time so we can stretch the money longer instead of keep paying you full time. And then, you know, money's going to run out in a month or two. Exactly. So let's find a way to stretch it. So I was like, yeah, we, we can make it work. So I work part time, you know, in research, part time is only for the name because you never work part time <laughs> when you do research. Uh, but anyway, I was like, you know, living in New York, having a kid the half salary is not going to be, you know, sustainable. So let me see if I can find any other, you know, teaching opportunities to kind of make up um, for the rest. So as I was actually in Atlanta at that time for the AACR conference in Atlanta, a friend of mine sent me a posting. She's like, I know you're looking for, you know, uh, a part-time teaching position. I know to this day, I'm so grateful to her. Oh my goodness. I'm so grateful to her to this day. She was like, I saw this posting. Um, they're looking for somebody, you know, right away. And it looks like you fit the criteria. So why don't you apply and see? I applied while I was in Atlanta. I had my computer with me. Thank goodness. I whipped up that resume so fast <laughs> and the letter of interest. And I sent it um, to the person whose name was in the, uh, in the posting. And she got back to me. And I was like, I'm currently not in New York, but as soon as I come back, you know, um, I would love to to set up something. So they invited me to come do a demo lesson and they wanted me to talk about, you know, prostate cancer. Because, again, the school, as you um, explained early on, we are, you know, uh, PhDs and, you know, teaching college level um, courses to students who are going to get a dual degree at the end of their, um, you know, high school year. So. So when I applied, um, called me for the for the demo lesson, went, it went really well. And they offered me the position um, for, you know, that fall. It was, the school has already started, actually. So they offered me the position. So I was teaching there 
and ending early enough so I can go back to the lab and do some of the work. So I did that for a full semester until the end of January. And at the end, they were like, you know what? It feels like things are going really smoothly. The kids, you know, really love and engage with you. We like the way you're teaching and things like that. Would you consider staying full time with us? And I was like, and that was it. And I was like, yes, I would. Yes, I would. So it was it was a hard decision to make because I truly loved my lab. I truly loved the environment. The students there, we had really created a community. So I was sad uh, to leave them in a sense. But I was also happy because I realized that, you know, having that opportunity to full-time teach the students. Yeah. Well, and well, they're more paying. The students got to eat your mom oh, now. Oh, yeah. oh, totally. Oh, and man, the upgrade. The upgrade is not negligible. It was. It's ridiculous, <laughs> right? As a postdoc, you're being, being paid like you're a TA. Yeah. Or, you know, and yeah. It's, 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 yeah. So, yes. So that was, that you was do, very you nice. Do, your work is not like a TA. Your work is like first level, snap of Exactly. You guys work a lot. All the responsibilities, again, all the communications with anybody who wants to collaborate with us, the reps, teaching the students, like giving the guest lectures, um, you know, because, again, I was doing also some guest lectures at Hunter um, so I can, you know, kind of keep exercising my teaching brain. So all of those actually contributed in me being the perfect candidate for that position. So things just worked together. So you did that yeah. from 2017 to 2021, right? Yes, 2021. And, and was then, it a tenured position or a non-tenured? So it was a non-tenured um, okay. position just by the nature of our um, collaboration with Bart College. Yeah, so it was a non-tenured, yeah. but understood that, you know, as long as it's a, you know, mutual agreement, you're doing um, your job, the, the college is just like basically renewing your contract every three years. But it was just, you know, but it was non-tenured. Yeah, yeah. it was non-tenured. Okay. And then what made you pray tell? I mean, where do you know that you have this pattern of just going for the big guns? And not, and even if you're doing it afraid, what was mm-hmm. the outcome, like excellence all through? What made you decide, you know what, mm, tenure, non-tenure, shmish, shmish. I'm not going for that dean position. Girl, how did you do it? <laughs> Because so, you. <laughs> oh man, I know, I know. It's just like circumstances. So it happened that um, our um, former dean, um, she was she was leaving um, basically because she 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 had a a new position that she committed to. So she was leaving. But as I was in the school, and probably we'll talk about it, you know, related to um, the podcast that I started talking with the students and just seeing some of the things they need and how I can help them. I just felt like having another responsibility other than just being in the classroom would be so much more impactful because again, Uh, in the classroom, it's only my direct students that I touched, but uh, I had a vision of touching everybody. uh, Oh, wow. Right? So... So, the dean, I, I, it's it was just I I know it, always you know those goals and you know re- really trying to do what I think I'm being called for and just support and be there you know for mm-hmm. for, for for students and help them be the best that they can be. So the dean's position accumulated you know a part of teaching, but also a part of 
being there for the student's life and making sure that, you know, whatever it is that they need, you can support them and also support, you know, other other faculty. So it was kind of a a sweet spot for what I thought that I wanted to do. I still wanted to continue to teach, which was, you know, still a, yeah. a component of it, but also being able to reach more students than the only ones I'm seeing in the classroom. So when the position opened, I was like, I need to try for this. I need to try for this because I feel like this is the right time. It's been four years since I've been working with the school. Everything, you know, has been great. And I'm like, I want to expand, you know, my reach. I want to be able to reach more students. I want to be able to communicate more, to do more things for them and do more things with them. So let me apply and let's see what happens. So I spent, uh, it was, yeah. You guys, you can't even see her right now, but she's glowing. It. <laughs> she's glowing. She had different, she yeah. had glows during different times of her talks, right? But this particular glow is different. It's, thank I you. Mean, so, yeah. That, so that, that's that, amazing. I mean, yeah. you, you're an immigrant. Let's just be very factual about that. I mean, in a place where it's highly competitive. And I remember, even though you're not going to mention this, but I'm going to do it. When she was applying for this, she reached out to me. And there were some people that were even qualified as well, equally qualified. Yeah. I would say maybe just even slightly a bit more because again, yeah. remember this is our first time actually following into this. She had not a lot of experience except her passion and of course her other merits as an educator and researcher and everything. She's, but you just going for the dean, I mean, that was bold and she got it. Again, another lesson, you apply, you never know. Yeah. You, apply. You, could, yes. you, could, you could just get it. Yeah. Oh, and yeah. and you know applying having hopes and also you know being okay and not something you know that I want to make sure that I, I I share with people it's just even if you don't get it it is okay the experience that you earn from going through the process is going to help you down the road for something That's so true. again always yeah. try even when you feel like oh there are someone else there's someone else who is more qualified it's okay it's okay apply yeah. You know, we're going to talk about that. Like, even if I don't I, get it, at least I was yeah. able to um, assess my interviewing skills. Yeah. Maybe I even got flown out to go do that interview. Absolutely. I people, many potential collaborators. And it's, I'm going to get the job, but I got this other experience. Yes. That you can use for the next job around, right? And be like, oh, this is hmm. what I did. This is the feedback I got. How do I improve on those? make changes so I can be even better for the other one. Because if you don't practice, like how are you going to get better if you don't know or what to it's expect, so true, you so know? Because so. we just get stuck at that rejection phase. What if, what if? What about, what about what if not? What if you do get it? What if it exactly. does turn out for you? What if you right? get additional experiences, right? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So, so. your mom took it. And I finally yeah. met up with Adioda like two months ago. <laughs> Last month, actually, no, last month. Last month. Thanksgiving. And I took the train from Manhattan all the way where she where she lives. And we had such a good time. And then Adioda came. She it did that really nice. whole Asian greeting. She saw me up all the way back to my hotel. <laughs> in Manhattan. And then we sat down and we talked. And then she go, I'm like, Adioda is like, what am like, this is New York, baby. Like, I know, right? I'm like, wow, yeah. we that coming from the boondocks. Like, the city that p.m. never sleeps. Literally. After 9 p.m., everything shuts down in the club. <laughs> but it was really nice to see her again after such a long time. Yeah. So, yeah, mom, how are you balancing those two things? 
because I can't imagine it's easy. Now your your responsibilities have increased, and your last born, I'm sorry, your second born, because I don't yeah. know if you more, was just you know she's she's fairly yeah. brand new, you know. Yes. And then you are still looking like a teenager and that glow that we're talking about. It, it's just a look. <laughs> the sleep deprivation is real. Aye. But to to be honest and not to, you know, it is it is very, very hard. And I'm still Aye. struggling with it. And, you know, we've had the discussion um, a little bit. But it, it's, it's really been challenging. It's been, you know, again, being fairly new in the position because when I started uh, working as the dean I only worked for one semester because again I was pregnant so handling that job while being pregnant and a pretty difficult pregnancy you know Mm. I was like how do I start the job on the right foot giving my all and giving the best I can while you know trying my best to carry this pregnancy, you know, um, to terms. And then I was on leave the um, second half of the the school year. So basically this year is the first year that I'm going to be the dean for the full year without, you know, Mm -hmm. any break. Mm -hmm. Having a mix that is not fully doing her nights yet. Yeah, I'm -hmm. looking at the baby. So so it's really been hard trying to balance it because... Again, sometimes being a high achiever and having, you know, high hopes for yourself and your family mm. can really be hard to carry because you're feeling yeah, like, yeah. Right? how do I keep doing the job that I actually I, put out? Yep. Exactly. Enjoy in a way that is that I'm happy with, because sometimes even when you are not micromanaged and people are not, you know, looking for your every move, you for yourself, you like, OK, I want to be good at this job i enjoy this how do i do it the best i can even when nobody is looking you know so that was one thing as a mom how am i showing up you know for the my 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 older um daughter Daughter, the youngest one and being a yes she's eight right and also how do i find time for myself because that was the thing that i really struggled with really trying to take care of everybody and everything else and be like at 9 30 at night and being so tired that I cannot even like do anything for myself and that started you know weighing and then I was like you know what for you to be able to pour from a cup that cup needs to be full so how do I right so how do I go back to the position where I still manage to do a few things for myself so that I can keep doing all of that for, you know, for other people. And, you know, that self-care is real. Being there for yourself so you can even be more present for others is truly important. So I've had to do that mental work and be like, you know what? It's okay for me to also put myself in the list of priorities and find carve that time instead of taking the leftover time. Yeah. Because there was no leftover time. There was no leftover. I know about you. I feel like we don't get to learn that a lot as African women, our moms don't teach us that priority. If anything, we're told to, especially being the firstborn, yeah, we're told to put our emotions aside and take care of everybody. Totally, yeah, yeah. and care for care for and everybody. They, they else. Those things have their merit. Don't get me wrong. I'm not trying to, um, yeah, you know, no, demonize no, what no. we're taught, but there yeah. needs to be a balance to that story. Because when we yeah. get to that point, like when you got to that point, it's almost like taking time for yourself felt like you're being selfish and letting everybody down. I but know. you needed to the guilt. Right. I know. I, I, yeah. I battle, and I did not think I would battle with it. But the guilt, that's yeah. true, because we are not taught to 
downtime care yeah. for ourselves first mm-hmm. as so it's like oh should i be doing this everybody else needs me like i'm closing the door for 30 minutes like and the baby's crying like i should ju- just go and pick the baby right i'm like no yeah. there's someone else to pick the baby just let her sh- it, yeah. it, it's it's hard I it is like hard. She's not crying tears of blood. She's good. Right, I know, right? <laughs> I, but it's so hard, you know, it's as hard, a mom to come hard, to terms and, and be like, you know, I need to set, you know, those boundaries yeah, and be okay yeah. with it. And I'm, I'm not very good at it yet, but I'm definitely better than I was better a few than months you were before. Yes. I think for you, it was kind of like a sudden move because it was you and Rania for a while and then yeah. bam, yeah. was two yes. other people right. as well. Exactly. Yeah. 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 That's yes, a lot. But you, I mean, um, you're doing it. You're doing it. You're doing it. So, what trying. would you say are some things that helped you, um, at least get your voice back? You know, some resources you've used, or mm-hmm. some things you relied on that helped you realize that okay, I can be a do that first, and mm-hmm. once I can get to a do that, I can help other aspects of a do that. The mom, the wife, the sister, the daughter, the dean, the student, the, yeah. you know, all of those things be in harmony. Yeah, I I had actually gotten to a point where it was the first time that I realized that I needed to talk to someone, like as in someone like a professional, because again, you can talking to a professional. That's what I was going to say. It's like, this is not how we do in, you know, (laughs) this part of the world. We don't talk to other people. Your parents supportive of it? They don't know. (laughs) Okay. Then they should never get to listen to this episode. They, they do not know. Why are they, they so opposed to therapy? I don't know. Why. I don't. I, and it's just like. pray about it. I'm, I'm praying. Right. I, I, right. I know. I'm but praying. those it's are conversations me. that we never had. So it's even oh. so uncomfortable, you know, to talk about it. My mom is currently here, but that's not something that I'm talking to her about because we haven't been. Love my mom to death. But <laughs> those are not conversations that we've. It's just me out. Exactly. And I don't want to. I'll wanna, straight, I'll probably need to call my therapist right away. Right. For like, <laughs> we love them, but. Oh my God. I know. So I'm really very grateful that, you know, I have a, a husband who himself, he has been, you know, to therapy I mean, because, you know, he's not African. So he's been in, in, in therapy, right? And he knows the value and we've, we're able to talk, but I just needed to talk to someone else, you know? So mm-hmm. I, I took that step and it's only once I started doing it that I gained a new perspective and just realized that whatever I was battling with was legitimate. Mm, I was entitled mm. to feel the way I was feeling and it was okay to feel those feelings. And it's just like, okay, what do I do from there? And what are the steps that I take from there? So having this talk from someone who has no interest per se in my life, as in they have no stakes in it, giving me that perspective, I was like, that is true. I had forgotten all of this. I had oh. lost this part, right? So that has really helped to kind of regain that and be like, okay, what are the things that I truly enjoyed doing? And I'm like, okay, I wanted I'm to create this that. platform, right? Exactly. I've been talking about this podcast or, or you know, whatever way for like so long. And I think it's going to take a weight off my shoulder if I finally do it. Instead of, you know. Yes, and setting that goal really helped me be like, you know, you need to show up for yourself. This is a gift that you're giving yourself for your birthday. Please show up and do it. You deserve the gift. So, you know, 
do the do the thing. And you know, other things like sewing. I I, I learned. I started learning sewing during the pandemic, and I've oh really taken it. Oh my god! I went to it. a house, guys. She has a whole room, a whole <laughs> room. I'm like, wait, you just started sewing during the pandemic? She does. She does unconventional things like um, picnic stuff. And she doesn't sell them. She actually donates them to like you know um, shelters and yeah. um, um, living facilities for like elderly people. She does like just things yeah. that you need, it's, but you don't see in the stores. Unconventional, and she does them so well. No. Thank you, she thank you. Thank so yeah, so right, I was like, those are the things that bring me joy, that fills my cup. So let mm. me set up the time to be able to do them and not wait until I'm so tired that I cannot mm. even keep my eyes open. Like, what are you gonna sew? You know, at 10 p.m. when you can't even see straight, right? So mm. I started carve those times like during the weekend when I would get up I would be like you know you take care of the kids you know talking to my husband I need that one hour or one and a hour for myself to start a project before you know I come back to taking care of the house and things yeah. like that so this has yeah. slowly been you know the saving grace to carve that time first and then when I'm revigorated and like ready I'm like okay I've done this thing for myself I'm here for you guys what do you need from me you know <laughs> i'm even enjoying those things i mean like you yeah. know what this is my time yeah. mommy's time i'm not gonna feel guilty about it because if mommy gets her time guess what you're gonna get your time sometimes fine but i need this time yes yeah. totally yeah. and it, it's really been helpful and every day i'm making conscious effort to be like yes let me set up the time and i will be with you guys for the rest but this time let me let me do what i need to do so i can be there it's fully present for you. Yes. because that's also the thing because when you're there for the other people and your brain is somewhere else with them but no right? exactly so yeah i know so once i've done what i wanted to do i'm fully open my mind is like okay i've done what filled me i'm here for you now so let's go i am ready <laughs> yeah 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 so, so your passion i mean i see you haven't even conquered in the world enough you're like let me release a podcast yeah. <laughs> i want people to i want to equip younger people and i think you can i imagine came from a, a point in your life where maybe as you were growing your life, if i had had access to this and that probably i would have done this and no regrets in that area but you just want to find a way to connect with people more and help their future self thank them so let's talk a little bit about your podcast what you know inspired it and how's it going how are you finding me in a podcaster oh my goodness it's been so interesting so going back to you know really what inspired the specific topic so when i think it was back in 2019 so two years into me teaching and really realizing that this is the environment i want to be with because again you know passionate educator i can only deal with teenagers for some reason it's like <laughs> everybody but teenagers <laughs> <laughs> so right and, and it, <laughs> i know right for some reason we it, it's 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 great we have our you know run intos but for the most part it's really great so one day we organize usually um you know every year in the spring community day so community day would be a day where we'd have maybe outside speakers come and talk about topics and would also do other things in-house. Coincidentally, 
I was one of the faculty members who was responsible from moderating one talk about a company that was coming from outside to talk about, you know, finances and student loans to the students, like do a presentation. Mm. Mm. Won't you believe they did not show up? So we Ah. sat in the room. I am telling you, we were there waiting for them. They did not come. So I texted the person who coordinated the whole event and I'm like, oh, those people are not here yet. I'm sitting with the students like, what do you want me to do? And he's like, oh, no, they couldn't come. But I just forgot to tell you. So, you know, pass the time. And I was like, huh, okay, let's talk. So I've always been someone who, you know, again, in um, when I um, uh, recorded the first episode and talked about uh, my story, I kind of explained um, how I got introduced, you know, to financial yeah. literacy and yeah. things like that. And yeah. it's always been something that was, dear to my heart. So when I started talking to the students, I realized that very few of them knew. They were about to graduate. They had no clue of the banking mm. services, mm. the financial aid, the student loan. The le- They had no life skills per se. They are smart. They can critically think their way out of any academic you know, topic, but they could not figure out what to do once they graduate to college and how they're going to live. You know? And I was like, huh right and i'm like you guys have no clue that no clue the credit card the credit score and i'm like no way so i start right so i sat down and i thought about it and i'm like those financial decisions or moves are going to be some of the most important and recurrent decisions that you will be having to make every single time And from just experience and people around me seeing, you know, the debt that they have, like consumer debt and whatnot. And I'm like, you want to know going in what you are setting yourself up for. Otherwise, you're going to be trapped and it's going to be hard to, you know, come back to the surface. So I, right, I know I sat down and that came because like on the side, I was volunteering, like helping, you know, friends and neighbors and whatnot figure out their finances because they were in a situation where they didn't even know how to pay down the debt. They were like drowned by the interest fees of those um, credit cards um, companies and they just didn't know how to work out their budget and things like that. And because, again, of how I've been brought up and my dad really teaching me those things, it has always been something that was seamless for me. And I was like, maybe there is something there. Instead of me trying to help an adult figure out their finances and how to pay a credit card and fully pay it and not use it in a way that would be detrimental to their own finances, why don't I teach that to my students before they are even... you, So that going in, they know the mistakes not to make So they don't have to pay for those mistakes like 10 years later. Right. So that's really how it came about. And I started thinking about them like, okay, what are the things that I can talk about and how am I going to talk about them and things like that? So I actually went to my principal that semester and I was like, you know what? This is what I've seen for the most of the students that I talk to. There is a real need here. Would you allow me to set up? a club or a class where I'll be having conversations with students. I don't want you to pay me for anything. I just, I'll, I'll just want the space. Give me like 
as a room and give me a period and let me do the reach out to the students. Like, totally fine. Did they show up? Did they show up? They did show up. God. They did show up. So I, I run a survey. I was like, this is what I'm planning. This is what I have in mind. Would you be interested? And I had like a full, you know. Of their minds, like, you know like, yes. Right? And they were so grateful. Unfortunately, when we started, like the following year, that's when the pandemic hit. But we had started talking, having the conversations in person. Once a week, we would sit down and break down, you know, what are the credit cards about? Like, how do you make sure that, you know, you're using them responsibly? What does it mean when they tell you, oh, this is the minimum payment and then the interest fees is 27%? Like, if you pay the minimum payment, you're going to keep paying, you know. Like, those little things that they don't really know or like the overdraft fees or the ATM fees. Like, how is it that you're taking, you know, only $20 from the ATM, you pay $1, (laughs) right? All of those things. So I was like, let me let them know those little things so that when they make the decision, they kind of think globally. So we started doing it, the pandemic hit, and we reverted to using um, Zoom actually, even for that. And they still showed up And and they still showed up. And then, I show them how to work out the budget, how to set up the budget so that, you know, they can make sure that they have their needs covered. And if they have wants, how do you set up goals? How do you save for it? How do you, you know, also not um, because one of the things that that the peer pressure and wanting to keep up with the Joneses, right? It's like all of those things. How do you work up your mind in a way that you are not tempted by any and everything that other people are doing, that you're living according to your own values, right? It, it it takes practice, but the sooner you start practicing it, the better it's going to get and the more you can advocate yourself for yourself so that when there is a situation that you don't feel comfortable being in, you can say, you know what, guys, this does not look like it's going to fit what I need, so I'm going to just, you know, back up. Being able to, it's not easy to do. And if you don't start early, it's so hard. Tell to, me about it. And I know about it for exercise because I hate exercising because I didn't <laughs> learn it early. But look at you. You look like you go to the gym like every hour. Ah, you. Oh, man. You know I don't. But natural, anyway. <laughs> man. You guys are so natural. I, me, it was me and the brother from my family. I already added like 60 pounds. All but, those people. Yeah, those people. yeah one of the, I don't want those people that, you know, they're just naturally gifted. Ah, uh, thank you. Yeah, but but yeah, those were the things, good. right? That yeah. when you learn things early on and you practice them, it becomes second nature and that you don't mm-hmm. have to struggle so much about, okay, what am I supposed to do here? You don't have to feel overwhelmed because that was my thing, right? Finding mm-hmm. a way to present the information in a way that is not overwhelming Correct. and they can just take it, learn as they go and build the knowledge, the stamina and the discipline so that later on, if they want to dig even deeper in a specific subject, they already had the baseline knowledge hmm. presented in a simple way, you know? So that was, has always been, you know, the, the idea. You found and yourself then, in, in a full circle because your deanship position has also helped you. I imagine that even though you had a dream, I know you've always wanted to have your own yeah. podcast yeah. in a while, but being in a position of and what you've been exposed to in, having that access to a wide, you know, number of students, a wider number of students, it's helped you streamline, okay, I can actually make a podcast out of it. Because, you know, everything you were doing before then and your mini classes with them and, you know, teaching them life skills, you've just elevated it to a bigger, you know, um, stage. 
and, and that's beautiful i do that i think yeah, the, the moral yeah. is whatever your hands find to do just keep doing it because you just never know you just never never know yeah Yeah. So totally. as a wrap up, I want you to mm-hmm. do something for me. I haven't done mm-hmm. this before. Mm-hmm. Um, let's look at idea that your the the state of your life of you know we've explored on the podcast mm-hmm. so far. So what you can just come up with would would be like a phrase or a word that describes uh-huh. it. Okay. So idea that growing up in Burkina Faso, what's that one word that you say can um, summarize all of your experience? Going up in Burkina Faso. Ah, oh, that's really. I'm. I'm like. Okay. Let me just. Growing up in Burkina, happy, happy. Okay. And then I do that. Moving to France in 2004. Challenging but grateful. I like that. Now I do that. Moving from France in 2014, right? Mm-hmm. To New York as a postdoc. <laughs> the hardest season of my life I've yeah. ever experienced mm, but mm. great for all of the experiences because it right. made me the person I am it, it's, it was rough yes. it's always gratitude okay good good now I do that as uh, an assistant professor so much fun mm. I do that as a first time mom what the hmm <laughs> Now, I do that as um, a dean. So much paperwork. <laughs> I do that as a wife to Cameron. <laughs> Best decision I've ever made. Oh, hi, Cameron. I do that as a second time mom. So that cute baby. Oh, by the way, guys, her baby is so chill. <laughs> Her baby is so chill. Like, ah, you know, I have a daughter, right? My daughter is chill, but another different layer of chill. Her daughter she is, is chill. Oh my God. She's she so is chill. chill. She she's is. She's like an old soul chill. Like, she looks yeah. such a, like, I'm not here to stress anybody out. Don't stress me out. I'll give you my attention, but do not stress me out. I, I just love, I know she looks, she has this cherubic chick. She just want to talk at them all year long. Okay, yeah. so I do that as a second time mom. You mean like there's like a seven year yeah. gap in between? So, yes. Girl. So it's like twice the love, <laughs> but seven times the work. Oh my goodness. They don't tell you what really? a difference it makes to really? add another kid. Oh really? my goodness. Is that easier? It, oh, it, <laughs> whoa. It, it's, yeah, it's rough. Will it get better if the third one comes in the way? Do you think? I certainly hope so. I certainly hope so because, man, it's it 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 is it's it's a lot. You you feel like you are like a household wife. You yeah. never done with the picking up, the cleaning up, the feeding, the the, the burping. It, it's just like a whole thing. But I would not change it for the world. But man, it's, uh, we yeah. have to acknowledge because sometimes that's the thing, right? We we talk about the joys. Which is Both great, but we don't talk about yeah. the challenges, and that's why people didn't tell you, and then we don't know, and we get them. It's like, but why didn't anybody say something? <laughs> <laughs> but it still has another stuff from people from doing it because, again, I think there's something you just forget about and you just go into yes. it. Oh, absolutely, so, absolutely. I mean, I think I'm mean, for one. I already told you, I already know this. I'm gonna say it again. Your maze balls, 
hundred percent. Thank you. And even you, you talking about it. is we coming up with words to kind of reduce all of your expression to one word. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's what an exercise I gave you. What a horrible. <laughs> All of the things yeah, in your life, even though there were yeah. challenges, there was also happy moments. And I liked how you even punctuated it. When you talked about the challenges, you said, oh, I still have gratitude. Mm-hmm. And I think that's the model of all of your story. Like, despite everything you've gone through, you still have a heart full of thanksgiving. And it hasn't limited you. Even in times where you felt like it limited you, you were mm-hmm. still able to learn from them and move forward. I and tried, And why yeah. I wanted to bring you on podcast, because I wanted to show people just this amazing woman who's been through such a lot. And we haven't even talked about other aspects of her life, maybe sometime in the future when she's ready to get home. Maybe, yes, yeah. maybe. She, mm-hmm. So, welcome a lot, guys, to be here. And, you know, it might, it might make it sound easy because an hour long podcast is only so much you can talk about without, you know, having True. to like, you know, clear the whole schedule for the whole day to like, talk about stuff. But let me let you know that. Let me, if I tell you that this girl has gone through a lot to be here today, believe my word for that. But she's still a fighter. She's still present in body and she's not letting it up anytime soon. And this is what we would like to leave with you guys today, listening to this episode, that whatever it is in your life that you feel there's not been a progress being made, perhaps this episode will serve as a reminder, as a catalyst to go for your goals. Whether you are stuck in somewhere in Africa or you're finding yourself in uh, the western part of France or as yeah. opposed to the lab, sweating your balls away or your non-balls away, <laughs> you're your personal body speaking your language and you're sick from home, yeah. Find an oasis, you know. You know, and I know we didn't talk about this in particular, but another thing I do that does she has community of people around her. I think we did mention it a little bit of that, but you cannot do life alone. You have to find people around you to, yeah. to help you and build you up. Like her friend sending her that job, you know, opportunity, yes. or even her just applying through LinkedIn. Whatever it is, just keep going. So we hope this episode, you know, serves as a reminder of that. I do that. Where can people find you? And what is the name of their fantastic podcast? Ah. So I'm not so much of a social media person yet, unfortunately. <laughs> so I, I, I don't think she's posted anything in this. No, I, I, no, yeah, it's, it's, it, I'm, I'm really struggling with social media. So, <laughs> barely, barely. But oh, I mean, so I did get an Instagram account because I wanted, you know, to use that also as another vessel for the mm. podcast. Mm-hmm. So the Instagram handle is your future self will thank you. Mm-hmm. And that's also the name that. um, yeah. of the podcast. And it is available on um, Spotify, Apple Podcast, and Stitcher. So your future self will thank you. Okay. Okay. And and um, we'll tackle up. If you can just send me the link, I will tackle of that in that. Okay. And Sounds good. I, that, I mean, this was worth it, by the way, because your question in the beginning was, I hope this is going to be worth it. This yeah. is worth it. And I'm so honored to come on the I know it's been such a busy time for you, and it took a while to even get this time together. And I know you had a birthday celebrated recently, so happy birthday in Ireland. Thank you, thank you, thank you. I always uh, like the, you know, w- days and weeks surrounding my birthday, so this is really the happiest, you know, moment uh, for me, usually, because I really love my birthday time. So thank you, and thank you well. so much for having me. And, you know, we're not even talking about all that you're doing, and I just want your listeners to know that Mo has always been my model. Every time that we talk and I'm like, how do you yeah, do really this? Because she, she presented it as I'm the one, you know, doing and, 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 and doing all things. But, you know, you guys know her and you know the work that she's been doing, all of the accomplishments. And thank you for all that you do. Thank you for reflecting that image, you know, for all of us to always want to thrive for 
so much better. Thank you for being you, Mo. Gosh, yo. Oh my gosh. I just, after you make me angry like this, I'm already almost tearing up. Oh, this is how you get back at me, right? But it is that it's true. It is true. Thank you, I appreciate it. And I'm glad to have you as my sister as well. And thank Same. you for just, you know, um keeping it moving. And I know your story is gonna inspire a lot of our listeners today. Because because you're not on social media, people don't get to know about you, but this is gonna change all of it. And I also want it to be so that when Rania is yeah, probably she might listen to this episode, she can see other aspects of her mom. Because I think sometimes as as parents, we don't our kids don't really get to know who we really are. Like, I remember true. I talked to my mom about her life. I realized that my goodness, this woman has a story apart from being mom. All I just mm-hmm. see is mom. But it's important. Yeah, that's true. Story, right? So this is another way to add to that um awesomeness, awesomeness so that your kids can when they listen to this in the future as a time capsule, they can always know your story yeah. and that can also inspire them. So thank you for um adding to that um repertoire. Thank you, thank you. And I wish you a happy new year and thanks for coming on the podcast. Happy New Year to you too. Thank you. All right everyone, this was an episode of Adio Dad. Go listen to other episodes as well. If there are any questions you have or other ways we can support you, don't hesitate to reach out. Our email address is talk to more at mosible.com and we can be found on all major platforms. As always, I remain your host, Mosibo, and catch you on another episode of the Mosibo Podcast. Peace. <laughs>